I've named this episode Listening, Appreciation, and Manipulation. We're going to start with understanding ourself and extending that into understanding the person that we're talking to. These gentle, deep-rooted, and well-founded ideas will help you relate to a single person, better relate to the world, and much better relate to yourself. So I hope you can join me on this journey as we search together to find hope in the desert. so far as to say that listening is an underdeveloped skill a lot of times I know that this has happened to you um, you'll be talking to someone and you can just tell that they're not really listening they're waiting to talk and what's so interesting about this first of all let me just be the first to say I've done this <laughs> a lot and I really want to go over this because it's such an important part of my internal journey um, so you're talking to the person and you realize they're just waiting to talk and you almost have to make a decision. Are you going to rush and finish the sentence? Are you going to try and be persistent with whatever you're trying to say, knowing that at this point it has lost its value? Or are you just going to be quiet and just let them say whatever's on their mind? So I've come to find out that listening and uh, thinking are really two different mind states. That's, that's so important because unless you get that, there's no real way for you to meditate. And I'm not advising anyone to meditate, okay? If it's not for you, then don't do it. What I'm saying is it's impossible to meditate without learning how to really be in a state of listening. And what I learned dealing with my father is that the more I learned how to listen to myself, the more I could listen to others. And so there was this extravagant internal journey that I went on and I'm kind of I'm kind of doing more I'm kind of telling you more about my internal journey than my external journey at this point kind of uh, for a huge reason a lot of people uh, are care find themselves in a position of caretaking at one point or another in their life that might not be necessarily of a dementia patient but I do want to give a salute to all of my beautiful caretakers out there, my heroes, I call them heroes, that are um, providing uh, for people who are suffering from cognitive decline in some way, shape, or form. But if you are giving, if you are caretaking for a person who is, say, uh, just somebody who is in need of special needs or any any circumstance where you're a caretaker, even even just for children, listening becomes a what I call a high income skill. Now, if a person learns how to listen in their life, if they really develop this skill set properly, you will notice not a lot of people in the lower socioeconomic class, poor people, broke people, listen very well. If you're going to run into listeners, it's usually going to be at a higher uh, status 
higher economics or financial status. You run into listeners when you start running into self-made successful people. These are people who really know how to listen. And I'm not just talking about salesmen or salespersons. I'm really talking about people who are successful at anything. You will find that these people have developed the skill set of listening. So the listening begins with learning how to listen to oneself, which is so important. Because listening to oneself really requires a type of self-assessment, self-understanding, self-love without self-evaluation, which really, and and by the way, let me add in self-cultivation, which really means to understand who you are, cultivate who you are, truly accept who you are without saying whether you're good or bad. That's the biggest part, without the shame that's in are the humiliation, the self-humiliation or the embarrassment that's involved in the skill set of um, assessing who you are. Because it's so easy to start to say, okay, I'm this and this is good or bad. We, we like to jump to evaluation right away. Once a person learns how not to either try and control what it is you're learning about yourself. I want to give you a little bit of an example of that because that, that I, I realize can kind of slip under the radar. So um, it's, it's, there, there comes a point as you're performing introspection in your life, as you're evaluating, you may go to the store and see someone walk in to the store and right away get this feeling of some form of prejudice. Man, I wonder what this person is, is, is here for. Do they really have enough money to be here or whatever? Okay, and then you look, you think to yourself, oh, wow, I'm, I'm practicing a bit of microaggression here. I'm judging this person. So I'm a judgmental person. And then you judge yourself. Well, that's good or that's bad. That's terrible. I shouldn't be like that. And then there's a type of shame that's involved and a type of withdrawal that comes with it. I say that because I'm really trying to point out that is thinking, that is not listening. So if we talk about what is in fact listening, listening is that ability to silently cultivate what's going on. Once we learn how to, once one learns how to listen to oneself, and this is something that I had to discover, I had to learn how to listen to myself. Once one learns to listen to oneself, only then can one listen to others. So once I learned how to accept myself, and and the exercises that I used for this, uh, which are fabulous exercises, is uh, a cultivating walk. And I learned this from a book called uh, Comfortable with Uncertainty. So once I learned how to take a cultivating walk, and what that is is, Walking out, you can you can do this anywhere. Noticing what's going on without thinking anything about it. Just allowing whatever it is to occur and being able to bear witness to it and be free of it having any personalized effect on you. So I'll notice the smells and the sounds and the views, the vision, um, the imagery of the entire experience. But I don't get caught up in taking a tangent on thinking about anything. Instead, I'm just taking things in. And I remember one day I was talking to a really good friend of mine 
and he asked me, as he was talking, he said, what are you thinking? Because I wasn't saying anything. I was just kind of smiling and nodding. And he said, what, what are you thinking? And I said, I'm not, I'm not thinking, I'm listening. And I, it, it hit me in that moment. The difference between thinking and listening is so far apart. But we, in our society, a lot of times equate the two. We, we associate the two as if they were close to each other, when in fact they really cannot exist in the same space. You are either thinking or listening. And so what is thinking and what is listening? I want to talk for a moment about what listening is not, all right? Listening is not waiting to talk. Listening is not subject hijacking. And listening is not probing, evaluating, or interpreting what a person is saying through our own, what I think Stephen Covey would call it, our own script. So subject hijacking, this is a big one. And it's so big to understand this for a caretaker. I'm going I'm to I'm gonna talk about equating all this to, to caretaking in just a moment because it was what I had to learn um, after banging my head against the wall a bunch of times. Person A is, is, is talking about something and they might bring up a subject like perhaps uh, airplane. We're just naming it now, airplane. My mind then takes this tangent on the last time I was on an airplane and what I like about airplanes. Now that's thinking. When I start to talk about my experience, almost cutting them off or almost being so interested in saying what I need to say that I'm no longer listening to whatever it is they're saying now, I'm, I'm like chomping at the bit at this point. There's, there's, no, there's no reception to what the person's saying. Then when I cut in and I start talking about my experience with airplanes, whatever that is, I've now subject hijacked. I've now hijacked, hijacked the subject. There's a lot of ways to do that. We can subject hijack with uh, the, the subject itself, as in that case. We could also do it with the emotion. So, for example, a person is telling me a story about when they got on an airplane and how frustrated they were, and then I start to cut in with, man, I remember the last time I got frustrated, it was this, 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 and this. And I'm really cutting whatever the person's experience is, right? To move forward from that, another one uh, mistake that I used to make was probing. Starting to ask questions to almost direct the conversation. A person is telling me a story about something that they're cousin did and I, oh yeah what, what's your cousin's name which cousin is that where's that cousin live and now we're, we've diverted from whatever the person was trying to share with me uh, another way that I've done this in the past was evaluating a person tries to share something with me uh, I went into the restaurant and I said this to the owner and I say to them you know that was really rude or why would you say it like that or you shouldn't say it like this and there's this evaluation. If, if for me, what I had to realize and was, was so important is that when we do that, we really shut a person down from wanting to share with us. Now, if you're guilty of that, it's okay. Because right then, defenses tend to go up and people are like, man, that happens to me a lot. I hate when that happens. Wait a minute. Now he's talking about something that I'm doing, <laughs> right? I'm talking about my personal experience, what I had to learn in order to deal properly with my father. 
I had to actually learn that before I could seek to be understood, that I had to understand. Before I could ask him to listen to me, I had to let him know clearly that I was listening to him. Now, I want to go over one last type of not listening. There's so many different types of not listening, right? There's trying to give advice when a person really is just venting. They just want psychological air, and you're trying to get advi give advice or rushing them through whatever they have to say. You're letting them know that whatever they're saying is not important. I mean, I'm trying to tell you that listening is a real art. It's, it has, it's a skill set that has to be developed, and it is a rare art. It is one of the rarest arts, I think, that we come in contact with, and the largest portion of communication, and communication is 80% of success. Another thing that I would do uh, with my father is, is zone out, right, from what he was saying mentally. So now we're really subject hijacking internally, okay? So now my internal dialogue is going, and I'm zoned out, and then I'll cut back in at the end of whatever he's saying, and I have some generic statement such as, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah. Right? But if he were to say to me in that moment, what about what I just said was interesting? I don't know that I'd have an answer for him. Now, I want to I wanna explain first that I used to do all of these things. The way that I came about discovering that is by recognizing the things that I didn't like and then introspecting and, under, and trying to ask myself, what is it about this that I don't like? And what I started to notice was that I was doing these very things. I was doing these very actions. So I think this journey began as a child, feeling very unheard, very not listened to. And it was almost, it, it, from, from my childhood, it was almost like it's better for you to be seen than heard. The only time your presence should be recognized is when I have called you to do something, to do a task. But you having any input, me knowing what you want to do today, uh, me caring about your stories, what happened at school, who your best friend is, I don't care about those things. That's the way I felt internally. And that was a really a feeling of, um, of being worthless, being without value. And I think there are so many studies today, depending on your view of studies, because I know that some of us really don't accept science uh, in that way. We don't, we don't deal with um, research, studies, statistics, consensus, because it's easy to lie, right? So there's this idea of, uh, of fake news. And that fake news almost gives us license to then pick and choose what we want to believe, which is an interesting conversation in itself. But according to the research, children who don't feel acknowledged as children, we're talking about in their uh, pre-operational stages. So I'm going to say below the age of 12, okay? Um, they feel... They have less self-esteem. They feel less adequate. They feel as if they have less value and that's their self-image, which is so important. In that development between ages one and six, I definitely felt like I was only in the way. I was only bothering people. And that's something that's carried over to today. 
there's a lot of times where uh, I will need help or I will really want to reach out and speak to someone and I will feel as if I'm only bothering them. And um, there's no way to explain to people why you are so self-reserved. Now, there are some other reasons why I've developed reservations over the years, but uh, there's no way to explain that to people. Now, only now as an adult, when I see certain habitual actions that my father practices, can I understand how much those things affected me. Now, I want to say this. My father did the best he could with what he had. So I'm not calling him a bad father. What I'm saying is there are some habits that I developed that were not so good that I had to come to notice. And the only way that I came to notice them was through self-assessment without self-evaluation. Understanding who I was without saying whether it was good or bad, whether it was right or wrong. And merely saying, these habits that I have, if I set them next to habits of successful people, how do, how do I match up? Now, now, still, there's no assessment. They're still not, they're better than me. Merely, this habit that this person has, many successful people share this habit. How far am I from that habit and what would I need to do to develop it? One of the habits is being able to listen, which is an extremely important skill set to develop and, and pull from the consciously competent arena of my, of my uh, essence so what that means is I can do it, but I have to think about it when I do it. Pulling it from that consciously competent area of my essence into unconsciously competent. I can do it without thinking about it. I call this developing a muscle. So if you think about any sport that a person played or any um, maybe typing or any skill that had to be developed, when we first come in, we may be talented, but there's going to be areas of that skill that we don't understand and therefore cannot do. And we start to learn the dynamics and we have to do it step by step for a while. And then it becomes a little more fluid. And then after a while, we begin to do it without thought. That's moving from the consciously competent to the unconsciously competent. Okay. And I say that really to present or yeah, I say that really to present this um, paradigm shift because lazy thinkers uh, have this idea that that habit right there is just something for smart people. So my dad uses that a lot. He'll say, I'm not that smart. And that's really a cop-out. Right? It's really a cop-out. A lot of people will let uh, dementia patients get away with that. I'm not that smart. Which is really uh, a cognitively lazy approach to things. It's almost the same as the financially lazy approach to where we say, I'd like to buy this. They say, oh, we can't afford that. That's just a type of laziness as opposed to asking, how can we afford it? I'm not that smart. Why? Because I don't do that. How can I learn to do that thing? Why can't I do that? This is a self-assessment. So as I learned to self-assess, this idea of 
How can I start to develop these skills of highly successful people or these high income skills? Every time I come across something that uh, I notice is effective and efficient and useful, trying to figure out how I can adapt that the skill set. So it doesn't mean that I need to, for example, I don't need to be a jack of all trades, right? I'm not saying that I want to be uh, the best writer or the best athlete, the best football player, for example, or uh, the best you know, software builder or any of those things. But I can look and see what skills all of those different those different areas of expertise, what skills do they share? What strategies in their approach do they share? In this instance right here, what we've been talking about today is the ability to listen. So let's talk about listening and apply it in, in some of those instances and, and I, I'm going to try to show you a little more what I'm, what I'm talking about. So for a great example, to be a great football player, you need to understand the plays. You need to be able to read the field. If, uh, if you see something in the field shift, you need to pay attention to that, right? That's listening. That's being receptive to whatever's happening. Okay, if, you're a, uh, if you are a product developer, for example, a software developer, for example, you and you're paying attention to your demographic and you notice that your demographic is asking for something whatever it is maybe they want a software to to do something specific and that software either doesn't exist or doesn't exist in a in a way or with the accessibility that these people need or want so you develop that software and now you have fit a demand and now you find yourself in a more successful position because you knew how to listen. Even if you're just uh, a salesman without developing the product, one way of listening would be knowing where your target client would be. Where, where do you find this person? How would you get a hold of this person? All of this comes out of listening. In this particular instance, what I'm talking about listening I'm applying it to my relationship with my father. I have to learn to listen because I have to hear the things that he's not saying. And so we know that that would require reading the body language, the tonality, the facial expressions. Uh, and a lot of times, sometimes it will require reading the pace in which he's speaking. I remember being very young and my dad coming home and telling, I, I would ask him, how, how was your day? How do you feel? And he would just say, good. Which actually is not really an answer to that question. I had to learn that in English class, right? Which I still, I still say that answer sometimes. I still, people will say, how you doing? I'll say good, right? Which is not an answer to how you're doing. I uh, would hear him say good and I would take that answer at face value. And then I would commence to talking to him, asking him questions or whatever it was, and notice that he would get aggravated at an alarming rate. Now, I wasn't necessarily asking him to do anything. I was just trying to have conversation with him. But he was very aggravated and frustrated. And my dad did not know how to self-assess well enough to know that really he was thirsty, he was hungry, he was tired, he was sore, and he was frustrated from whatever happened at work.
And what I got the feeling of when I was talking to him is that I was just bothering him. Still today, that, uh, that transfers into how many of my relationships operate. I will not call people because I feel like I'm bothering them. I will not text. Sometimes I hesitate even to return a text. I, there's almost a type of anxiety that I get because I feel like I'm bothering people. And there are moments where that leads to a type of very unhealthy isolation. So that's my internal journey. Now I want to talk about listening specifically to my father. Um, there have been times where, as a, as a matter of fact, let me give you this one specific instance. My father had left the house with, without my knowledge. I didn't know that he was leaving. Okay, and uh, that's that's the interesting thing about uh, trying to help my dad because uh, so there's there's two, there's two elements to this there's two elements to this the first element is the more that you help someone the more entitled they tend to get to the help so whatever it is that you're doing if you keep doing it often enough more more times than not the person will lose the value of whatever it is that you're doing and it, it starts to almost come off unappreciative there's an expectancy and a dependency on you to perform this action, which really is entitlement. Okay, so that's one. Number two is that the, the, the more energy that my father started to get from the foods I would give him, the vitamins I would give him, what would happen was he would start to have more energy. And this excess energy did not necessarily mean that he was independent. So what that what that translates to is he would start projects and I'd have to finish them. So it, it made me busier, <laughs> right? It was almost easier for him to be incapacitated, which which is really rude to say. It's really a rude thing to say. But what I what I mean by that, the reason why I'm saying that is, anytime I would try to rest or perform a task of my own, there was a type of shame that was associated with it. Now, all this is going to accumulate, all this comes together, it culminates in this example. My dad comes home from, uh, from sh going to the store. Now, we had been to the store probably about two or three days before this and got enough food for two weeks. And a really good friend of mine came over and she brought groceries. And, and I'm, I want to talk about her. I mean, she's just, she's phenomenal. I want to, I want to get into her in the future. And um, so we had a lot of stuff. We were, we had more than enough of everything. But the way he operates is, is if he has, say, for example, bottled water, that's a big one for him. If we have six bottled waters, he will go out and get more because he wants there to be 10. And that's just how he operates. So he goes to the store and ends up getting lost, okay? Now, I'm not noticing because I'm working. When he comes home, which is about an hour and a half to two hours later, he starts to, uh, I wouldn't say yell at me, but get very aggressive, okay? I'm here, pay attention, this is what's going on. 
So I put down what I'm doing and go out to talk to him. And we're sitting down on the couch talking. And I say, um, you know, uh, uh, as he's talking, he's, 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 he's uh, stating his piece. And I think I make a comment like, that sounds really frustrating. And he says, I'm not frustrated. Very defensive about it. It's so interesting how we can feel shame about being frustrated. That's, that's, so, that's such an interesting thing, that metacognition, that you can have a feeling about a feeling, that you can feel frustrated and feel ashamed of being frustrated. So I bring this up, I say, well, um, can you maybe tell me, and this, let me tell you why I'm, I'm pushing here. I'm pushing with this idea because there's no real way for us to move through the frustration unless we process it, unless we're honest about it, okay? You can't move through an emotion without being honest about it. Denial does not help um, processing. So I say, can you tell me why I'm getting the impression that you're frustrated? And his answer, right? This is, you know, Jedi mind trick stuff, man. This is how you got to do it. <laughs> his answer is, because I've been lost for two, and he gets to cursing, hours, um, coming back from the store. Where were you? And I was like, oh, okay. So I got the blame. Now, I, mind you, he didn't. He called some people, but he didn't call me and, or tell me. However, I was just supposed to know. And this is what I mean by these moments where I'm trying to, where, wherever I rest or I'm trying to do my own task, whatever it is, there's a type of shame that's associated with it. Now, I got to tell you this. He's not always like that. He doesn't always do that. It just, it does happen sometimes. And I'm, and I'm trying to give this example because I want to show you how I went through it. And uh, I'm trying to demonstrate how I went through it. Let me say it that way. I'm trying to demonstrate how I went through it. That one might have a better understanding of my clumsiness and come into a, uh, a way of dealing with it in their own experience because if you are a caretaker you will run into something similar to this where you are where you almost feel shamed because you were taking care of your own yourself and that denial of self specifically in caretakers let's remember that most caretakers of dementia patients are unpaid most dementia patient caretakers are unpaid which is one of the reasons why I call them heroes. Let's also keep in mind that they are 600% more likely to develop Alzheimer's and dementia themselves in the future because of the mental fatigue and the self-neglect that they go through for the majority of time being caretakers, being heroes. Let me say it like that. I would, I would venture to say, I, I've read no data, I have no data or no research on this to back this up, but I'd venture to say that it's probably the same with a lot of a lot of different uh, special needs situations where kids slowly develop and eventually leave there is a type of grief and depression that comes with that but if they're not special needs and they're not dependent all the time it may not necessarily be as severe as when you are a caretaker of you know someone who who has special requires special needs so that said what i was trying to do in this moment was really listen and hear what he was saying. What I was hearing in that moment, without judgment, what I was hearing in that moment was that my father's hardship, his problem, 
was a result of my neglect. And therefore, I had neglected him. He, he, so he was suffering from inadequacy. He was suffering from not feeling valuable, which is really an interesting concept to me. Because the question then would be, how do we define our value? How do we assign our value? And that threw me back to something that he used to say when I was a child that really, and this is going to be the culmination of what I'm talking about today, and I'm going to leave it here. He used to tell me, you don't appreciate anything. And I was thinking to myself at that age, uh, I show as much gratitude as I can. I had to learn later that gratitude and appreciation are not the same. Gratitude is an element of appreciation. There is gratitude and then there is understanding and those two together, the complexity of those two, result in appreciation. So. I'll unpack that. Gratitude is um, showing a grateful attitude. You're grateful that someone did something. Understanding is when you have done something like that yourself, almost a form of empathy, where you can relate to what they had to go through in order to achieve that task. Whatever the mixture of those two, your experience of gratitude and your experience of understanding in that, leads to an appreciation of the person, which means they raise in value. So for something to appreciate means to go up in value, to depreciate means to go down in value. And the idea of appreciating a person's act, their kindness or their generosity or whatever it is, really means that they raise in value because of this thing. Now, here's the interesting thing. People will do things for different reasons. Not everyone who is doing something for you wants to be appreciated. It's nice, but that's not the sole driving force. That's not the motivating factor behind why they're doing whatever they're doing. In my father's case, his motivating factor was he wanted to be appreciated. He wanted to be seen as more valuable, right? Which to him really meant having more control over who he did it for. Okay, so if he did a kind act for this person, it really means when I tell you to do something, what I want something from you or whatever it is, you become my subject. And that's how a person could show that he was valuable to them, which is extremely interesting and leads to a lot of emotional manipulation. If you loved me, you would do this. If you cared about me, you would do that, right? I want to leave it right there. I want to stop and just talk about that internal journey. And I want to really point out that many um, of you beautiful heroes and caretakers and many of you are nurturers in one way or another, you will probably experience this at some point. It pays to be able to really learn how to listen and hear what the person's saying without getting too defensive. In this case, I was learning how to listen to what he was saying without getting too defensive. It's 
it can be a difficult thing to deal with. I'm not going into dealing with it today. Today, what I really wanted to cover was what listening is and how it is different than thinking. I wanted to go over the difference between appreciation and gratitude. So what appreciation really means and how some people will use their actions as forms of manipulation. They will use their generosity, their kindness as a form of manipulation, which is in, in a lot of ways martyr syndrome being extended. And I wanted to personally say how these things that have occurred had begun to affect me as a child because I was raised in them. And the only reason I became aware of them was my introspection, my ability to sit and self-assess without evaluation. Because if you have evaluation as you're assessing yourself, you will stop. You will not keep going. You will not go deeper and really penetrate into the, into the deepest regions of whatever it is that you're doing. It means the world to me that you've sat and you've listened. And what I really pray is that you've learned something. I judge the value of my time. I judge how well my day went by what I have learned in that day. Have I learned something that is useful that I can take and apply in my life that will make my life and the life of those around me better? And that's what I hope I benefited you with today. I realized that this journey was an internal one. I really want you to grasp onto that. And I pray that if you have went through that journey as well, that you can identify um, things like this are the reason why we constructed the entire Mind Power series and why we made my brain health. I want to invite you to come down to findthewellspring.org. I want to invite a lot of customer engagement. Um, we have huge comment sections over there. You can get on the mailing list. There's all types of beautiful information there. And I, I want to invite you to have a fantastic day. It was so great spending this time with you. We'll talk soon.